Wallace to his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down! Wonderful try! We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bursts through the defence. Just watch this. Spillane gathers beautifully. In go the Irish forwards. This is Lennon. Bursting into the 22. Back to Bradley. Back to Kiernan. The drop of goal is over. Michael Kiernan has done it. Good evening and welcome to the Mulcast. Good evening. Good evening. Let's start with a statement win from Leinster. Um, there's lots to talk about in this game, but let's just talk about initially selection. There were two things that Leinster did that were uh, quite interesting. Will Connors going out and uh, tackling this hard out for 50 minutes and then uh, bringing on Charlie Natai for Jordan Larmer. And that mightn't seem very major because... Uh, like the wingers hardly touched the ball, but there were just two new ideas for selection. And I was wondering, do you think that's a, a, a horses for courses for La Rochelle or a Nina uh introduction? Well, both, both I think, um, because Leinster would have had have had a lot of consistency of selection, and one of my sort of wanderings. I don't think that's a real word. Something I wondered was, I felt that uh, Lancaster and Leo Cullen were very much on the same page with regards to selection. Leo still selects the team, and I was wondering if himself and Nienaber would would be like-minded or whether there would be changes. And this was a significant change, I felt. You know, Josh van der Fleer has been in every uh, Leinster starting uh, 15 since Levy's injury, really, every for big games. And being put on the bench uh, when fit is, is unusual, super unusual for him. You know, this is a World Player of the Year really recently. Uh, and at the same time, it made an awful lot of sense to me when I saw the team announced. What I So I was hoping that that would work out well. It worked out better than I even would have hoped. And we're all big Will Connors fans around this table. Um, the one thing which I hadn't foreseen at all and as you said, it's not a, like it seems obvious in hindsight to have done it, but just taking off Larmer and playing with three centres, like New Zealand did in, in the 2011 World Cup when they played Richard Cahuy on the wing. Um, that's where the strength in their team was. They had, they had four great centres in 2011. They had Sonny Bill Williams on the bench. Um, but Cahuy was, was, was a centre who ended up just playing on the wing because it was a good option for them. And the conditions meant that uh, Larmer's particular uh, skills, which are largely based on footwork, uh, just there was there was never going to be a chance to use him. Like he, his try was just sticking out wide and running over. Like there was um, every every Lancer winger would have scored that. I'm not knocking Jordan. Like he put in a um, you know diligent performance, but it made an awful lot more sense once once the substitution was announced. They're going. Oh yeah, that's a really good idea. I wouldn't have thought of that. And you're not, you're not like Gary Ringrose normally moved out to winger, but it's really just like just play with three centers. There's no need to have a winger here. Hugo Keane is an amazing cover of the backfield, 
uh, as is Gibson Park, two incredibly fit players. So the wingers, the sort of the winger being used as a, a member of the pendulum wasn't that much required. Uh, Natai came on, had a great run up the middle, possibly the, well, the best run of, of any Leinster player in the game. And uh, good clearance kicks and just super physical. So two really good selection calls, one before the game, one during the game. And I think, Leo, and I guess this is something that I certainly intend to return to later on, is I find kind of oddly just someone who attracts more criticism than I think he should and doesn't get the praise that I think he should. Like, I, I think it's it's not that he can't be criticized. I, I just, it seems that the criticism is, is far more valuable. So, like, there, there's guys like this all the time who sort of either attract more criticism or just can't attract any criticism. And, like, you know, for, for Leo, read Paul O'Connell on the opposite thing. Like, I mean, Paul O'Connell as a player... And Richie McCaw picked Paul O'Connell in his, in his all-time 15 in an article I read recently. Um, and, like, was captain of Ireland, captain of the Lions. Like, obviously a brilliant player. But the, the public coverage of Paulie was never critical. Never talked about his shortcomings. Never, never talked about, like, you know, the things that he couldn't do. Only just, like, talked about him absolutely mythologizing. Whereas Leo, who's same age as Paulie, played the same position as Paulie, is always a guy who it's kind of... People are dismissive isn't quite the word, but I think they're harder on him than is 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 fair. So my view of Cullen is that in, in this instance, he was the one who went out and got uh, Lancaster. It wasn't uh, Mick Dawson and it wasn't New Sephora. It was, and basically like they signed off, but Leo was there going, I'm going to go and get him. And then empowered him. Like just, and... Lancaster was the one who got a huge amount of praise and he was kind of the architect of Leinster and he was the one who developed a lot of the young players. And I'm sure he was, but like Leo, pretty much you get the impression he knew what he was going out to get. And he was like, I will get you and I'll give you an environment to do what you do well. And then when Lancaster was leaving, you're going, shit, like, you know, how are Leinster going to follow that up? Like, what's what's their look going to be? Are they going to make Goodman just take over the attack? Are they going to like bring back Noah McNamara? Are they going to, you know, what are they going to do? And didn't see Nian ever come at all. And they've gone with the guy who's pretty much got the best CV in world rugby. Um, obviously, Razzie would be a better selection, but like Razzie isn't going to come and play, you know, senior coach at Leinster, right? So there's there's no one else. And like once you've gone past like, oh, Wayne Smith, Nick Mallish, like all the guys who got trotted out for a decade, who are you going to bring in? There's, you need a new road of names. So Leo went out and got him and certainly looks like Nia Naber had a significant influence on the way that Leinster are going to play. He's the senior coach. He's the guy who's in charge of defence. It's kind of changed from a situation where Lancaster was coaching attack and defence. And not that I think Nia Naber, I think ultimately Leo picks the team, but I think he's picking the team in the way that a senior coach is preparing the team. And for that, he's got to take an awful lot of credit. Because again, he's made the decision, but he's also had the ability to just like park his ego or back the guy who he's brought in to do what he's good at, which is that's management. It's brilliant. Like that that's the director of rugby role. Um <clears throat> I think the uh the thing that's most interesting about the the two 
selections of the start and the substitutions the it's the rather than using your bench as a, a replacements for tired players essentially is using them as like a tactical resource mm-hmm. across the whole 80 minutes now that's hardly novel um the idea of finishers it's been widespread in rugby for a long time i think ireland moved towards it with finishing the game with Connor Murray as a very strong option after Gibson Park um, had taken his place, essentially. But you can certainly sense that it isn't something that Leinster did particularly well at the end of last season. No, I, were, I agree. They were just like replacing their tired players with a younger, less less good version. Yeah, but you have to have you have to have faith in the guy that you're bringing off the bench. Like in the game against La Rochelle, you, I would have, if Tyke Furlong had been fit for this, I wouldn't have started Tyke. I would have started Alala Toa. This game is always going to be tight, so you want really good players on the pitch at the end. Um, so if you have, like the way, if you look at the the bench they selected, like certain players got a load of game time, certain players didn't. Two players didn't get any game time. They were there as injury cover only. Uh, Tom Clarkson and Ben Murphy. Um, they're both young and inexperienced players. And to be honest, I didn't want to see either of them out in the pitch. And that's nothing personal against them, but there's a huge gap between their their level of experience and what they've showed thus far and the standard that that game was played at. Uh, whereas there's other players that are happy to bring off the bench early. Kieran Frawley is one. That was a that was an accident. That was injury cover, but they were happy to bring him off. He would have come on. He would have come on relatively early anyway. He would have come on 55, 60 minutes or something. Uh, Natai, they know, so they're always going to bring him on at some stage. Uh, like relatively early in the second half before the last quarter and Josh definitely a planned substitution and Keller Keller is another player you know no, I wouldn't say they can't wait to get him on the park but they know they're going to bring Keller on Keane is is first game back and they want Porter like that gap between Porter and Keane has got bigger um and Porter does so much for us so there's like Jason Jenkins I thought would come on earlier he only came on with six minutes left to play, uh, which shows that the gap between how the coaches see his form and Joe McCarthy's form is big. Uh, before Christmas last year, Jenkins was probably Leinster's top two or three forwards. He hasn't recovered that form yet. But having played at that standard in the relatively recent past, one would be hopefully he does get there, get there close again. He becomes a more um, viable early sub. Well, let's talk about the second rows. Um, they were at the heart of all the violence in that game, I think. Um, the they count- should be ashamed of themselves. The, like, counter-rooking, um, kind of Nathan Hines-style annoying of just leaning on people when you're on the ground, holding people in rooks, uh, and obviously winding people up. It was such a titanic battle. Um, and as he said to me, name the other La Rochelle second row. Yeah. I actually, I know what he looks like. I can't remember his name. Um, Thomas Pickwell or something like that. No, you're asking the wrong guy. You're yeah. asking the wrong mole. <laughs> um, they, used to, they used to play Sazzy, the club captain. And you can see, um, like, oh, he's a club captain. And then, you know, 
Jaban is the enforcer, Skelton is the enforcer, Tom Lakels, Pasquale, something. Um, and he was just like, oh, I fucking didn't. I saw him come off the off the pitch after about 56 minutes, 60, 58 minutes. I said, oh, I literally didn't notice him one other time in the game. So it was James Ryan and and Joe McCarthy versus Will Skelton. And like that, that was a big battle. We needed to do with him. Uh, I think it's noticeable how, like, Joe McCarthy's, he's gone from sort of, I mean, I think I said this a couple of episodes or podcasts ago, he's gone from being kind of um, a breakthrough player to already one of, like, one of the big boys, it feels like, in that team. Um, He's so noticeable in every game, both for, the amount of effort he puts in, the amount of times he's hitting things, and the penalties he gives away. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It's just like I thought. I thought James uh, Ryan was fantastic as well. Just like just getting in so many, so many battles with Skelton and not backing down. Because I thought, I thought with, at the bit when Larishell started the fight on the, uh, on their own line, I was just thinking, geez they physically have our number and, and we're kind of rattled by them. And by the end of it, we weren't. I think all the way through we weren't. And it was it was great to see. And there's a lot of that Leinster team had played against and beaten the Springboks uh, in the World Cup, had played against and beaten New Zealand in a test series in New Zealand. And you kind of have to remind yourself. And again, I, I, it's certainly one of these things that has... I think embedded itself in the consciousness and the word, like the narrative is that like Leinster struggle against physicality. They struggle against Will Skelton. Will Skelton is uh, Leinster's kryptonite, which I believe is your phrase. I saw Madigan being co- uh, credited with it on uh, by Jerry Thornley. Um, and like La Rochelle, must have been wound up by Raj. I must have believed all that stuff that was said after the final last year, like that with Aldrich getting in a sniff about James Ryan, about like the arrangements in the Aviva, the RDS, or wherever it was, the hotel, whatever it was, like all that sort of stuff. Because like the first, I mean, the match was ferocious, but the first half was absolute carnage. Yeah. Like it was, and and Leinster like didn't back down. Leinster were looking for it um, as much as La Rochelle were looking for. It. Like La, La Rochelle were bigger boys, but like that picking of Will Connors. But it's it's the likes of Porter and and Sheehan and James Ryan in particular, and and Keelan Doris. Like I mean, Keelan Doris and. Like Keelan Doris and Sheehan kept on looking for the ball to run, knowing that they were going to get hammered. And like some of Keelan Doris's runs were superb and he was getting absolutely flattened, but he kept on going, looking for it. And it was, I think, an immense win for Leinster. Absolutely immense psychological win. And I, I think it was an immense performance. Like it was, it was brilliant to win it. Like had, had Leinster conceded a late try and drawn 16-all, um, I still think they could have been very proud of their performance and they would have taken an awful lot from it. So to win it is actually a bonus. I mean, fuck it. Like, had they lost by a point or two to La Rochelle, I think a lot of people would have gone, oh, you know, they lost again. But this is a very different situation, playing La Rochelle in front of a La Rochelle crowd in La Rochelle. So grand, like in the first time around, the semi-final, they got beat by La Rochelle, but sure, no one's at it. Like, there was, there was probably as many away wins in rugby during COVID as there ever was and ever will be. More. Right? More. Yeah. Um, 
And then you've got the two finals, which everybody knows about. And I think losing in the Aviva is a much worse loss than losing in Marseille, even though in Marseille, I would have said Leinster were on top for longer. In the Aviva, they were on top much more pronouncedly at the beginning of time, right? So I suppose those are really going to stick. And, and like both of them, uh, there was a lot of things that rhymed in it. So had Leinster lost by a point or two, but absolutely like bait the shite out of each other against Lara Shell, you would have gone, that was a very different game. Like you'd be looking for the rematch, even though it's like it's 4-0 to Lara Shell, you're still going like, you know, on a different day, in a different venue, this could go. So for Leinster to win that was absolutely immense. And it there was a lot of grit about it. I was I read something, I think it was an interview with Hugo Keane, and I couldn't find it again. And normally what I do is I, I clip the interviews with people, like the, the bits they actually say in articles, and I, I you know, put them on my phone somewhere. Because you've got to take them at face value and go, look, people are actually telling you this. Like, this, this is what's on their mind at the time. This is what they believe at the time. They're not just, like, filling the media with, like, stuff that's been uh, said to them. And it was basically you know, okay, line speed's a thing and there's a certain way to defend, but there's also certain shortcomings, like just the bit of grit that, you know, you need to demonstrate. And it was almost like as if we've been told about this, that it's just enabled Leinster to do it. So you go back and look at the pedigree of beating the All Blacks, beating the Springboks, the amount of guys on that team, and you go, do those guys get that, do they do they get that sort of credit for the sort of the physical side? Does Keelan Doris get the credit that Peter Romani would get in well, terms all, of like all anyone, all anyone has talked about this season are losing the fucking quarterfinal and losing the Champions, League, Champions Cup final. So I've got to say that it was a brilliant defensive performance from Leinster. That like they went out to defend a certain way. You could see Ryan Baird shoot off the line repeatedly. Now he missed a lot of tackles. And I like sometimes I don't think he did it to great effect because I mean the difference with Peter Steftatoy is Peter Steftatoy makes a lot of those tackles. But... It's the first time Baird's been asked to do it. It's the first time he's done it. Like, you know, he's often said about Baird that he's the sort of guy I think that you need to give very, very defined objectives to. Like, you can't really let him freewheel it. You just you don't know what's going to happen. But if you tell him, I want you to come off the line really quick all the time, but I want you to make seven tackles like that, a match, and, like, anything below that, like, so it isn't good enough because, like, your job is to shoot off the line and make big tackles. It's, it's not to sort of hold this... Like, somebody else will make it if you miss, because they have to, but like I don't want you missing. And obviously picking Will Connors. Now, the other thing about the selection of Will Connors, Josh van der Fleer, when he came on, was superb. Absolutely superb. And it's it's that competition idea that you don't coast, you have to compete if you've been dropped. That's very powerful as well. Yeah. And also, the size of La Rochelle's pack, they are going to tire the size even of their replacements. They brought off Sklavi, and and Kalama off the bench, who are giants. Um, but you're playing against Body, who's I think 34, 35 at the start, and he's so physical. Like Daffel is very destructive, very, very uh, motivated for this game, very wild, actually, overhyped, and uh, maybe. But like you, you put him up against Will Connors, and then you bring on Josh, who's so quick, so explosive when the game, when their bigger forwards are tired. I thought that makes an awful lot of sense in that context. Uh, so a really clever selection there. And, um, you know, with regards to Joe and Joe's appetite for giving away penalties, like some people are very, 
like I don't want to be I just personally oh, anything he does is great because not like some, some of the penalties are fucking silly but it's part of the package at the moment you know if you're oh, if she has to stop giving away those penalties you're either you're either a rambunctious type of player and give away penalties or you're not you're a technical player who doesn't and um, we have lots of technical players who don't give away that many penalties and we need to um, what do they call that when you put in salt and pepper into meals season you need to season that with uh with people who are uh, who are a bit larry so he's uh he's sort of what we were looking for in terms of and he should like he should get cannier and the other thing is he's gonna get better he's only 22 um skeleton's 31 or 32 now he's never going to be as big as skeleton but like 22 is young to be playing in uh, second round in the Heineken Cup. I remember doing an article many years ago, probably 12 years ago, when you looked at the age of second row winning partnerships. Most of them were in their late 20s, early 30s, apart from Milo Kluski, who was the youngest by about five years. I think, um, and he's a very similar player to Joe McCarthy. Heavy set, brawny, loved giving away penos. Uh, so, so he's a really good fit for Leinster. Um, and... Baird is a good fit at six because you lose a little bit of line out with Joe, even though we used him a lot. He is, you know, not as not as good a line out player as Ross Maloney. Doesn't call a line out, for example. Uh, but Baird's very, very good line out player. Let's talk a little bit about La Rochelle. I was asking you prior to this uh, recording session. Um, why did they hate us so much? They have the sign over us and they were so wound up. They were so determined to rub our faces in it. And it's like, you would think Leinster would be the ones with more bitterness and they looked out of control. The last penalty that the Skelton gave away was so dumb. Dumber than any penalty that Joe McCarthy gave away. Yeah. Like, it was so dumb. It was so needless and he was like, he could have got a yellow card but like, I think it wasn't that kind of game where it's like, oh, someone, you know, got hit near the jaw. <laughs> it's like, yeah, well, like, you could have given them a like, hundred yellow cards in that game. Yeah. Um, but, like, they were, like, they wanted to be more violent than they needed to be. They showed absolutely nothing in the back line. And, like, they gave away dumb penalties when they had, like, a better scrum that earned them penalties. Yeah. Well, and think, they were impotent from, like, five yards out. I so, think it's, it's something, like, certainly... The old uh, saying of what, you know, was said in the changing room, it was like baseball, I can't remember exactly the thing, basically stays in the changing room. Like, I don't think, you know, on the outside, we hear like half of what Raj says to them. I think we hear the very sanitized stuff about, oh, believe you can win and this is who we should be. Like, I think Raj winds them up, you know, and would, and I think that they've been like, that Raj had wound them up about Leinster and like, they, they were going into that on the back of like being, you know, beating us in every game they've played us in, beating us in two finals. And uh, yeah, they were, they were very aggro. Every time the camera cut to Will Skelton, he was fucking jaw, literally every time, jawing away, the big fella. Um, so yeah, I thought they were super aggro, super wound up for it. And um, uh, it didn't really help them. And like you look at it, it's it's all Raj. It's all fucking Raj, I think. And I I even think that Raj gets suspended on purpose and like makes the story about him, takes the flack away from the team when when La Rochelle are losing. Like he's picked up something like 21 weeks of suspensions. And 
I kind of have a memory they're all around the time the beginning of the year when La Rochelle are a team that appeared to try to peak towards the second half of the year and uh, like I think so much of it is fabricated I, I think Raj is just Raj is all about himself talking about it writing articles from like 12 years ago I wrote the the report cards for the 2011 World Cup and I still remember like I Me Mine uh, Gamblor like that he's he's fooling nobody he was fooling nobody at that stage 12 years ago He's really good at what he's like. He's great at what he's good at, and he's not so hard at the stuff that he's not good at. But like he, he, it works for him. Like he, he makes Raj work for him. But I just like he completely fucking overboiled him. But that, but that said, like you know, had Larachelle beat the shit out of Leinster and, and won it, um, it would have been like La- Raj's fingerprints all over, even when he's not on the sideline, like when he's up in the third tier. But. He like he hates Leinster. Leinster hate him. Like that's it's a beautiful rivalry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <He's> Sexton's bitch. <laughs> uh, speaking of outhouse, nice nice segue. Um, uh, everyone hates Harry Byrne and everyone loves Kieran Frawley. That's true. Um, oh yeah. Uh, Both played really well. You know that worked out really well for Leinster. Like that was a forty minute split each way. Um, Harry played really well. He had one mistake where a ball he kicked rolled dead. Occasionally that happens. Uh, aside from that, I thought he played really calmly. He had that great banana kick, which was very close to a 50-22. Uh, his step inside for before he delivered a pass to Jimmy O'Brien was a touch of class uh, for Jordan Larmer's try. So Harry played really well. And then Frawley came on and played well. Like Frawley wasn't without his mistakes. Harry wasn't without his mistakes. Like Frawley dropped one cold. Uh but he also, like, Frawley strikes the ball so beautifully, uh, but out of hand, and then, like, especially off the tee. Like, I thought at the end, I was, I'm sure, well, I'm not sure, but I imagine you thought the same. Like, this is this is a canny way to run down time the waste, Time wasting tactic yeah, and just kick it minute. as kick far it, as you can. Kick it underneath yeah. their post. And kick it, yeah. kick it dead. Just yeah. make sure you kick it as far as you can. Yeah. It, like, as, it doesn't have to go near the post as yeah. long as it goes past the dead ball line. Yeah. And then after eighty, I wish there was more like fucking you know for all the stuff that we gave out about French directors not showing like French foul play, these dicks also didn't show any other angles running from behind the fucking post with a blurry camera angle. We know Paul Torburn, the three quarter view of him thumping the ball over from like sixty four meters on the on the angle. I would have loved to seen that ball like the parabola of that ball because it looked like it still had like four or five meters going over the bar from sixty meters. I thought was one of the biggest kicks I have seen in my entire life. I'm watching rugby fucking 30 It's an incredible strike. Years. Like the guy had been on the pitch for the entire second half. Um, Conditions I, I was, I was underfoot are terrible. I was in Cardiff in 2009 in the ground where Stephen Jones was, was taking that kick and like he was 15 yards closer and I was there going, nah, he's not going to have the legs to kick. Now, Jones had played 80 minutes rather than like the 40-something, but he's still like, it's at the end of the second half and, not that the first 35 minutes don't matter, but the fact is, like, you've played 40 minutes um, in a row. You're going to be tired of 45 or whatever it is. So it was like, just a phenomenal strike. And in, in the Aviva, we were sat beside each other, and he hit a few line kicks. And again, it's that it's that it's the sound of the ball. It's, it's that old line. But you just go, Jesus, like, what? whatever way he kicks the ball, like, whatever bit of his foot hits that bit of the ball or however straight his leg is or whatever elevation or angle or I don't know what it is, but it's just different. Yeah. He's pretty the same, much everybody kicking everybody yeah, else. He's the same height as like Ross 
Ross and him are about the same height, about the same build. And I wouldn't fancy Ross from like 15 meters further in. Like Ross's range, I'd say, is 40, halfway between the 10 and a, and a halfway in front of the sticks. Like I would say Ross's maximum kick is... I, I, I haven't seen a, an Irish player go for the sticks from the halfway line. In oh, it's Francois Stein stuff. Yeah. No, but like Joey's had. A oh, little, but sorry, you're talking about any, any Irish one, player. Any yeah. Irish player. Ben Healy is the only one I've seen try really Keelan, kicks. Keelan Dooley. And oh, Dooley, yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. But but I was listening to uh, Murray and Birch, and I was listening to Seth Cohen. Like, does Birch own shares in fraud? Yeah. Like, is there some <laughs> sort of black market, grey market type of like? It's the ginger conspiracy. Has he got options on him or something like that? Because like Birch, Birch has a habit of going, no, no, no. Like, I don't really like Harry, but I never want to see him picked again. You know, sorry, no, I don't really mind. <laughs> I don't really mind Harry. I think he's a good player. I never want to see him picked. And you're sort of like, hang on, Bert. Like, you can't, you can't just take the first part of the nice bit of your sentence and go, well, like I said, I really like you. Um. Jesus, he is absolutely gagging for Harry to be dropped and for Frawley to be picked. But everyone, everyone and, and the ev- thing is, and like Birch is in so like Birch is in pretty much every media outlet. Like I kind of expect him to ring on the door, but I thought that was him <laughs> singing carols. <laughs> Can I come in? We turn on <laughs> CNN. He'll be on now. <laughs> like, but on Al Jazeera. But and that, that he's that he's very influential because like any any of the bits of the comment section that you read, and I don't read very much. So it's the forty two, right? But you're just there going. Like, say five people comment on it. It's 5-0 to Frawley. People want Frawley in and Harry gone. Yeah. Well, people... People. People. I love attributing stuff to people. A uh, lot of people. The uh, Munster game, which I think is the, one of the most... Like, it's, it's the one that attracts the most attention. Frawley came in. He's big. He's athletic. He, he, he sort of just took to that game like a duck to water. And everyone was like, this guy, I mean, people just don't like Ross Byrne. And we can discuss it. They don't like either of the birds. The they, don't like, they don't like either of the birds. Well, yeah, they don't. Well, they just don't like him. You have the theory as to why that is. I think people just don't remember all the incredible, like, games that Ross Byrne played while everyone was just like, yeah, yeah, he's just, you know, holding the position while Sexton's coming over another injury or, like, not playing this game. Like, the amount of... um. Heineken Cup games. I'm never gonna get never gonna get around to calling Investec. No, it's a difficult Cup. one, isn't it? Um Heineken Cup games that, that Ross played that you don't you almost don't like in your head Sexton played them because it was the full Leinster team, but Ross played them all. But he played that entire season last year. Um and like people just don't like him. And and I can see the attraction, but like we we were saying, I think the last time, so two weeks ago, how well, I was certainly saying just how conflicted I was that I was I loved the the look of Frawley when he came in and he was around the same time as Ross Byrne and I wasn't a big fan of Ross Byrne at 20s but the evidence for the past like five seasons has been that Ross is a better out half than Frawley now you also look at it and you go Ross isn't quick enough Ross doesn't say straight he doesn't take it close enough to the line sometimes he does but most of the times he doesn't and as good and all as he is, you know what his ceiling is. And you don't want him coming on against like the All Blacks or the Springboks in a test match because of the limitations that he has. Whereas you look at Frawley and you go, fuck it, like this guy's big enough, he's quick enough, he's he should be a good enough tackler. And I do think at the moment there's an awful lot of attributing things to Frawley based on what his best bits have been or based on what he might accomplish rather than anything that he has accomplished. And that's the bit... That always sticks in me. It's 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 the reaction of 
the most vociferous part of the media or the coverage or the hoi polloi or whatever it is, the commentatorati. People, commentariat. People, People. commentariat. People. People. Um, To just attribute this stuff that's completely uncritical. Whereas you look at it and you go, like, what what does Harry have to do? And you go, he just dye his hair would be like, you know, do him a favor. But I don't, I thought Harry played well, but there's certainly a massive appetite for Frawley. And look, Jesus, if Frawley Frawley keeps on playing the way that people are attributing the fact that he has... Brilliant, but that's, he, he'd be he'd be starting for Ireland. He'd be starting for Ireland ahead of Crowley. That's the, he has the chance now. Like it's it's fallen the injury to the two Burn brothers, and I'm like I I be opposite to you. I would say like I'd be happy for Ross to come on, especially off the bench against teams like uh, the Springboks, New Zealand, whatever. Like I think Ross is fucking absolute ice cold killer off the bench, but. The injuries to the two Byrne brothers now mean that like Frawley's gonna unless they unless they pull out even a bigger wrinkle, even a bigger people pleaser and pick Sam Prendergast. Um or they, or, or they pick um Ross. Charlie Charlie Tector. <laughs> Just pick another Byrne family member. <laughs> <laughs> pick Bat Byrne out of retirement. Pick their little sister. I don't know. Yeah. Um so like Frawley if Frawley does go out against Sale, where he'd be playing against a really good opposite number, an incredibly canny player, an incredibly decorated player. As I've said in a previous podcast, like every time that England won the Six Nations under Eddie Jones, George Ford is the out half. Like George Ford is a great 10. So that's going to be a great test for him. Um, and if he goes out and plays it, then he's, like, he's, then he's earned it. You know, and you're going, all of the stuff about the depth chart and plans, they sort of go out the window when someone grabs grab selection by the scruff of the neck, so to speak, you know, when they force the issue by playing so well, is, is what I mean. So that opportunity is is coming up for him. Um, but on the other hand, like that worked out, as I would say, as perfectly as possible. Like Harry played well, uh, played 40. Frawley played well, played 40. And you're going, neither of them came out in any way with their reputations diminished. Both of them went to, both of them went to like, uh, a very hard place to play, performed well. We got the win. Uh, both of them kicked a very difficult goal. Harry's conversion of Jordan Arms kick was a superb kick. Uh, Frawley's was the, one of the greatest kicks I've seen. So there's no downside to that out half uh, quarterback controversy. No, out it's ha- brilliant. Out it's, half quarterback controversy. <laughs> but it's it's the competition thing, again, that... Um... Similar to Will Connors and and um, Van der Fleer. Van der Fleer. And Penny, who's played in and, all of Leinster's games Captain before Lester. this one, yeah. Um, I, I had a memory, and I couldn't remember who the personnel were, but Johnny Sexton got injured against the Exeter Chiefs in December in 2017. Oh, I, mentioned in this, I mentioned this on the way up You here. were chatting about this beforehand. He, Ross got, Byrne, he, got, he got injured before we got there, before we got in the seats. He was yeah. injured after two minutes. Yeah. And then Ross Byrne... I, can I say it on Mike? He was concussed after about 10 minutes and they were like, Ross, you're just going to play the rest of this game. And it was a really good Exeter Chiefs team and they beat them in the Aviva in the big Christmas match. Yes. yes. And I was just like... Luke McGrath and Dan Levy. It's the kind of... That's exactly the kind of game that I am I am attributing or remember in particular Ross doing before he played for Ireland, before he came to wider attention and wider criticism. It's just like, oh, he's just some like... Some lad. Role player. Some, system quarterback. 
uh, tall Raj, as you used to call him, like, oh, here's that slow goal kicking out half, like winning a game in a like absolutely really, really tough environment when he took sh- shipped an enormous knock and had to play 75 minutes. Yeah. And then, and then played the corresponding fixture a number of years later in Sandy Park, Windy Park, where... They had about one he, floodlight on and it was pissing rain sideways. Yeah. In and December. it was like it was Leinster's best win for a number of years. Oh, seasons. is that that game? It was a, yeah. it was a brilliant game. But Ross yeah. Byrne was, was at the helm of that. And he also played in, uh, like in... Last year's semi, you know, so the previous year's semi was against Toulouse and they'd gone into extra time against Munster and they were tired. And it was obvious that they were tired and ran amok against them. And then this one was supposed to be like Toulouse are well rested now. Obviously, they're still playing away. They're playing in Lansdowne Road. But Ross was yet having that game as well. Like sometimes this guy just, you know, he just doesn't doesn't get the credit he deserves. We'll have to unfold our theory and why that is later. Yeah. Let's talk about the rest of the tournament. Um, in a broader sense yes the English teams did very well and my initial reaction was this is actually good good for the game good for the, the grow the game like let, 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 let the English yeah, be good good, good for Investec <laughs> um, but in a larger sense uh, I think part of that might be down to Ulster being a bit crap oh that was a um yeah, as, as I texted you earlier, a statement win for Leinster, a statement loss for Ulster. Uh, going in at halftime, very much ahead in the scoreboard, even Stevens on the pitch, you know? And then, like, what happened at fucking halftime? Did they fall down the stairs? Or it was, they were so ragged. Uh, they got fucking killed. Apologies for cursing, but, like, they got killed on the discipline side of the sheet. It was, the official penalty count, I believe, at the end was 11-2. Uh, it was higher than that, because it was 11-2 before the end of it, and we were counting gone. See, you could see the penalties being given. And, that, and that, they would only, like, that's what a, I, I read the, the the website stat, and I, but that, that doesn't count all the advantages. Like, it must have been 15, 15-2. They got killed by refer not just by refereeing decisions, but like they got on the wrong side of the ref. And he only seemed to be refereeing one side. But like this was this was a game. I looked at Ulster's tied five and I just think they're all competent players. Like not I, I don't mean that they're only only competent. They're all clearly competent players. Like Treadwell would be the guy who's I wouldn't say the odd man out, but of, of that's I would say is the weakness in the tight five. And if he's your worst player, like that's not a bad tight five, you know. With with Marty Herring, Kitsoff, and and Hendo, and you're going, how are they getting so killed in the scrums? How is how is like and, and it caused me to reflect on like Jesus, like, all the Irish sides got killed in the scrum. Yeah. Not killed, but like all your ah, shots. Pretty came much. Out. They all got absolutely buckled. Yeah, but you can't say, you know, Ulster were killed and, and like Ulster were killed and they were all killed. They weren't all killed as badly as Ulster. Some of them were just badly wounded. Yeah. But like that is a, this is a, sorry to go on to Ulster, go off to Ulster, but we could come back. Uh, but the labor crisis in uh, like, what is, what do you think? Is it a case of each individual scrum? in each province has a fault or a couple of faults? Or do you think 
that referees are going, Irish teams are obviously shit at scrummaging. Everyone knows that uh, the top 14 is a scrummaging league and the English players always play with a great set of packs and they make up their minds that they go, if there's if there's a slip on uh, where it looks like, if there's a slip where it looks like the French team are going backwards, it's a reset. If there's a slip where the Irish team are going backwards, it's a penalty, which it sort of seems like. That's what it felt like to me during the Leinster game. But like, you know, it was hard to see. And even if I could see, I'm not sure I'd be able to tell what was happening. Yeah. There's some ones where you're like, well, he went down. But a lot of the time I'm like, just a load of like fat lads slipping over in the rain. Yeah. So, and you're going, your feet are too far back or your head's below your hips. You know, well, his head is below his hips. And you're saying you could see that my head is more below my hips. Like, that's not the law. The other thing as well is, if you don't read the scrummaging laws, this is boring, but the stuff that referees the referees mention it's like this is this is a shorthand which is not in any of the law books and you're going oh you didn't take the weight and you're going it's the only thing because I read the law books there the other day when I was like the only thing that it mentioned it doesn't take anything about taking the weight you're going ready to push you know you have to be ready to push Um, and that's like if, if they if that's what they mean they should, like, and this this is certainly something I feel, when I say strongly, I would feel five five strongly out of ten, mm. medium strongly. There's no, like, mention of, oh, you didn't come through the gate. The gate isn't in the fucking law book. And this is not scrummaging, this is other stuff. Referees should use words that are in the law book to describe what they're doing, rather than making up a whole set of things which are, oh, you didn't come through the gate, or you didn't take the weight. Like, on. What's the f- like? None of these are none of these are in law. These are like these are weird, uh, quasi officialese, which don't reflect like what's in the law book. You've gone, you've gone truck and trailer on this argument here. Fucking <laughs> truck and trailer is another one. Um, uh, maybe that's, that's a sorry, that's a hobby horse, but uh, but I would defend that. Like you, the referees. And I'm not here picking on referees. I'm no, I am actually, but not intentionally. What I'm saying is, the law book is is already there. There's a fucking eighteen sections in the scrum thing. Say what it's for. You're not ready to push, like because you're not taking the weight. That's not that's not against the law in rugby. Once you're there and you're square, you don't have to fucking, you don't have to leap into the other fella, and make him fall forward. It's his. It's his. If he if he falls forward because his feet are too far backwards, he's pushed too early. Which is a, which is a, which is a penalty. So, sorry, sidebar there, but um, it was something I was thinking about. But do Apologies. all do all the uh, do all the Irish teams just like just need to find some incredibly large uh, Islander fellas who'll come and play in the rain? Well, Kitsoff is an incredibly large. Yeah, Kitsoff's a World Cup winning South African loosehead. Double World Cup winner. Uh, double World Cup winning. It was. It was notable to me that like uh was playing for Bath and Van Cran was there going as the sub tight head. And he was the captain of the Sharks last year when he played against Leinster. You're going, oh, shit, like he's a good tight head. And he's a Springbok, isn't he? Yeah. But looking at it and you're sort of going, Oh, Johan Van Cran, he has his pow game now, and you're still going, fucking like Bath aren't like I wouldn't mind playing Bath. Um with Even Van, with the power with, game? With Van Gran coaching them. But like but he has all that. He has the personnel. I did remember the name uh, Massimo Katita. So in 2012, Ireland were either ha- were the IRFU rather were reported to or expected to hire Massimo Katita 
former Italian prop as the scrum guru. Like he was going to be contracted to Irish rugby to to teach everybody how to scrummage in the aftermath of the the Twickenham debacle where Tom Court had to play tight head against Corbusiero and we just got absolutely annihilated in the scrum. Um, so it's time to bring him back. Um, but certainly it was a theme of the weekend was the Irish teams were just blasted off it in the scrum. So blasted off it by the referees, though. blasted off, by the, off it by the referees. But like wh- whatever the whatever the, like the picture is or whatever like the technical requirements are, but like they were going backwards as well. Like it, it wh- whatever sort of criticism that you might have of Wayne Barnes for penalizing Andrew Porter, where you go, but shit, like Andrew Porter's going forward here and he's getting penalized. Mm-hmm. Like that's a hard look. A lot of the penalties that were being given away and a lot of the the scrummaging performance, like the Irish teams were second best in it. So. I think there has to be, and this is the thing, see, like the, the teams are so, like the Irish team is very definitely the national team. It's, it's you know, it's Faz's campus, the Carton House bubble. They don't have an obligation to the provinces and the provinces don't have an obligation to each other. Like they're, they're each other's biggest rivals. So I don't think you can have a kind of a unifying scrummaging, like, you know, declare an amnesty and this is the way we're going to scrummage. But certainly Irish teams have to figure out sort of what they're doing scrum-wise. Because definitely when Greg Feek came over to first Leinster, then Ireland, Ireland scrummaging got a lot better. They they didn't get pushed off the ball and they didn't get penalised as much. And it gets, it's the biggest Achilles heel for the teams, for, for all four teams. Yeah, so for with us, sir, like I don't really understand it because... Marty Moore is a good scrummager. Kitsoff is a great scrummager. Rob Herring is a good scrummager. Hendo's, Hendo's like an 80 cap international lock. Uh, and Herring is cap, or not Herring, but a Treadwell is cap. So you're going like, how are you getting monster a lot of the time? It's like Will Stewart and and uh, Detroit are a good, really good one-two, really big one-two combination on the high head side against Kitsoff. But like they were, they were just... They were just going backwards in every scrum, and whether it's whether it's a case of adapting to the arms race of 140 kilo props, and just saying you just need bigger bodies, which is going to be a hard thing to fulfil because Irish uh, the provin- provincial playing stocks are quite static compared to French or English teams, but you just don't buy as many players, so and. The IRFU are never going to say, okay, well, you can each get one 135, 140. Because where are our props going to come from? So it was a case of prioritizing coaching for the first part uh, and like real concentration on scrummaging as a unit skill, and which I'm sure they do, but also the ingrained attitude towards scrummaging is like, you cannot just survive in the scrum. You have to attack you have to attack the scrum. The scrum has to be a weapon. If we have a relatively small scrum, we have to be an incredibly aggressive scrum and have to take scrummaging incredibly seriously in training to the point like the, you know, the sort of like the famous 1997 Jim Telfer, like this is what we're going to do today in training. It doesn't really fit in with the rest of the week. I don't care. You're going to have to do 30 scrums or something like that. But I think for Ulster, and I'm certain this is something that we talked about last year about this same team, um, and it's just that when you don't have it written down, you, you, you can't find it. 
But I, I think the role, so we talked about Leo Cullen as the director of rugby and that isn't actually his his title. Like he's... Head coach. He's he head coach. Yeah. Um, and I think, and again, I don't have this in front of me, so I don't know what Roundtree's job is, but Van Grand was the director of rugby and Stephen Larkham was the... the senior coach. He was the senior coach. But you're there going, but surely Van Grand is, is, is coaching it. To my mind... The way it's gone in rugby is that the guy who's in charge, the Andy Farrell, the the Razzie Erasmus, the Leo Cullen, his job is to coordinate all the other coaches, pick the team, and set the vibe. So whatever way he does that, he's the main guy. And whether he's a big vibesman or not, like he he sets the vibe. So if he gets somebody else in to set the vibe and he delegates that bit, fine. But it's still his job to do it. And I look at Ulster. I'm sure we said it last year, but I'll definitely say it again. Like, really what they needed was an additional coach. And I think, looking at McFarland, I go, here was a guy who was, like, a very good number two. So we were talking about the Sopranos before we went on earth. There's an incredibly good scene where, in one of the later uh, series of the Sopranos, where Tony's been shot and he's in hospital, and Sill takes over. And, and his asthma plays up. Everybody is at each other. And he's even trying to take a shit and fucking Vito and Paulie are arguing about the cut, the jacks. Like, and he has to make an art, a judgment on it while he's on the ball. It's public jacks. They're not all in one little bathroom together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, they're, they're all just like, the whole thing goes to shit. And then Tony comes back and Tony just walks in and he fucking shouts at them and he puts them in his place. And all of a sudden, like, Silk can kind of relax and go back to being a great number two. And you're just there going, it's such an incredibly good scene because... Some people, you sort of look at him, you're kind of like, but Silla's really cool. Silla's really funny. Silla's really nice. And you go like, it's a fucker being the boss. Yeah, and Silla's also a killer. Like Silla's yeah, a... Yeah, and Silla's and yeah, a killer. Like, yeah. you know, he's a mate guy. And you're sort of going, look, some people are suited to be number ones and like, you know, can do it, can execute on it. And some people are great number twos, but they'll never be a number one. And you look at it and you go, is that... And it's it's the Peter principle. It's, it's the being... Like, you might be a really good technical coach, but, like, are you cut out for being a number one? And you look at Rog, and you go, like, Rog is a brilliant number one. He is absolutely a savage number one. Like, he's 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 brilliant at it. And he earned his chops all the way up, like, doing these technical roles as a coach. But you really got the feeling from him everywhere he was at that he wasn't so much doing his job as a number two as he was learning how to be a number one. He was learning from the Laurents at Racing. He was learning from Scott Robertson in um, in Canterbury. So that when the time came, he was ready to take on a number one job. And he went on. He went into a team, and Rog is very clever. Like Rog went into a team like that was on the up, but that was small. He didn't go into like Stade Francais or like Toulon or or even Montpellier. You know where guys have found it before. He went to La Rochelle where. You know, shit, they've been in Pro D2 for most of the time. Like, you know, if 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 he'd only finished like sixth or seventh or eighth, um, and he got them, but he got them into the semi-final, maybe even the final, like it would have been a real success. So like he, he's completely outperformed. But I think what Ulster needed to do more than sign any player, more than sign Kitsoff, was get another voice in the coaching mix and then to get the most out of that voice because it's it's kind of looked It's it, it's it it hasn't been fully pumped all the time. There's there's been little bits of a vacuum there where the season just goes off the rails for them, and then they get it back. 
but like the players haven't necessarily improved or there's a this kind of a listlessness and you just kind of go no 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 like you need somebody who's going to come in and like has fresh ideas or has a charisma or like just different things at different times also somebody for the head coach to talk to as an equal is like that's when you mentioned the two Laurence. uh that's what reminded me of that like that can be a very effective now it is dependent on the personalities of the coaches actually liking each other uh but it can be very like Joe Schmidt and Vern Cotter was a very effective one-two combination. Um, yeah. And and the two Laurents is another good example. And, and there's others which don't spring to mind immediately, but it can... And when we talk about the Peter Principle, I, I think it's... But even like Foster and Joe Schmidt and like Jamie yeah. Joseph and Tony Brown. Tony like, Brown and Jamie Joseph, that's the other one I was thinking of earlier, yeah. So, so that you can talk to somebody and they can go, this is... A, can, can be a frank and equal exchange of opinions rather like than assistant coaches as I think it was it was Birch in, in a really good interview he gave maybe two years ago uh, interview or it was an interview uh, when he's just talking about well when you're an assistant coach you could just be all the players mate oh I would have picked you which I'd never even thought about before and he's li- you know lived that and you're going like it's an easy job compared to being a head coach and head coach is just a nightmare you answer to absolutely everyone so well, I mean that—that's if you let it become a nightmare to you. Like, but you're the boss. But like, you just see Andy Farrell. It's like it's not a nightmare for him. It's not a nightmare for Jurgen Klopp. Not like a, it one is one in a million type it's of a really, yeah, well, But that's that's the thing. That's like, the, you're you're the boss. The talent. He's like, it's not like oh, I have all these things to do. It's like I'm able to do all these things. It's not like I have to make all these decisions. That's like, a challenge, I isn't can it? Make all these decisions, you know? <laughs> <Don't> know. <laughs> but um, so with with Dan McFarland, my question: there was there's like public talk about oh, we're not training well enough. Like from both the coach and from the players, and you're going, well, that's a fucking disaster. Like, because you spend, as I constantly say, like you spend twenty to twenty four hours per week training and about an hour and a half playing. So, like, training is what you do fucking a hell of a lot more of playing. So, if you're not doing the thing that you do all week properly, like Jesus, like that's, and then you're going public about it and going, like that is unusual. So, my question is, like, he's an intense guy, uh, and he's. He's like, so I wouldn't say a renowned psychologist, but known for being a, uh, like, he's not like an old school, like Kieran Keane type of coach. Um, so you're going like, is, is his message gone stale because the players don't like him and that there's no other voice in it? Or are the players like, what is the issue with that they are not even training well together? Like, they're all pros. They're all well paid. Ulster is probably quite a monocultural organization, but so is, so is Leinster, you know. Um, no, so, some guys went to Michaels and some guys went to Rock, <laughs> <laughs> which is big. Uh, <laughs> but um, so I don't know what the what the issue is there. But like they're looking at, they're looking down the barrel of like losing four games in a row. Now, as Munster proved last season, if you can get the shit back on track, like, the season doesn't really start until March. Like, most of this shit is just preamble up until after the Six Nations. Like, unless you're way out of contention. Like, there's eight qualifiers in, like, half the league qualifies for the knockouts, mm. you know? And, like, what is it? Three quarters of the teams qualify for the knockouts of the cup? 
Yeah, there's 16 qualifiers from 24, two-thirds of the team. Two-thirds. So half and two-thirds qualify. Like, you have to be really off the pace not to qualify for the knockouts. The knockouts don't start until after the Six Nations. Yeah, but, I mean, to state the obvious, all the preamble is to get yourself in position to not be knocked out immediately. Yeah, and also not to be always playing away. Not to be playing away. You want to be playing at home. You want to be playing at home because you have a better chance of winning and you get the gate. Yeah. But but my, my question is, like... Do you think it's McFarland's message has gone stale? Or do you think that well that's the question? Yeah, that that's what it is. That yeah. So he hasn't complimented his voice with another voice. Mm-hmm. I then I don't know whose job that was to do. And this goes back to the head coach of the director of rugby. Like if he's the head coach, I think his boss, which is Petri, Johnny Petri, yeah. Uh as the chief exec has to go, this is what we need. Yeah, and but it's then, but then you're saying right, Petrie's in charge of rugby. So then you're going, well, like who who's in charge of rugby? Like is is Petrie not in charge of of running Ulster rugby? And again, like that idea, if he delegates, he delegates the on pitch stuff to Dan McFarland, and he goes right. So like Petrie is ultimately responsible um, for bringing in sponsorship and doing recruitment and you know like the amount of budget that they're going to have like how many commercial how many players are they going to have in their yeah in their academy like what budget do you have how much are you going to spend on these guys where are you going to find the money like how are you going to organize the sponsorship sponsorship? all that sort of stuff like you know what maintenance who's who's you know who's who's going to sponsor the car the drive and all that sort of stuff of coordinating it and and getting the cash in and you know like and McFarland's in charge. And you, then you go, so if, how, how much, like, is, is all of it delegated to the head coach? Like, is that not the director of rugby job? So again, like, you're sort of gone, when you hear about the director, when I first heard about the director of rugby job, and you go, like, what, what does he What's do? What's the role? What's the role? And you hear Dean Rich is director of rugby, and he goes, well, he doesn't really go to training, he just sort of comes out on a Friday, scratches his hole, watches it, picks the team, and and goes off, and you go, and he was really good at it. Like, it, it really worked for him. So, It seems to be McFarland's job to go and get that coach. He didn't go and get that coach. They really miss him, whoever that, whoever that could be. And Jesus, I'm like, I'm, I'm sure there's guys out there who change jobs. There's enough guys who have left uh, from Eddie Jones now. Do they want to go like to Ulster Rugby? Can Ulster Rugby afford them? Ulster, Ulster had a bad year last year financially. Yeah, because lost their shirt and the, um, they the, lost their big home match. They had to play Claremont in Dublin. No, La Rochelle. In, or La Rochelle, sorry, La Rochelle in Dublin. Uh, like behind closed doors. Yeah. Um, it was an absolute disaster for them. And I think th- there was a few other factors in there. So maybe they couldn't afford to go out and get another coach. But like already their season looks to be over. Uh, I want to talk about the the thing that you said to revisit just a point was made a few minutes ago. Um, the preamble, the 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 arranging of you know your position for the knockouts. Leinster have won a very very valuable like Leinster are a second seed in their pool and they beat the first seed away. Who they have to who who the, you know they only get to play away. They don't get to play them at home. Yeah, in this system. So they've like uh, knocked the seeding already. That means they'll have home games against Sale and Stade Francais. And, and another away game, game against, against Leicester. Leicester. Tough group. But they're all they're already in position to finish first in it. Which would give them After one game. 
Well, they've beaten the best team away from home. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know, they're very good at home. True, but it's just one game in. Yeah. Um, and then... So Ulster, who were almost writing off, just lost in a away game. And Munster... How Drew against at home? Against yeah, in in the game now. I didn't see this game in full. Yeah, but, I did. Uh, just so the commentary beforehand was very much like, "Well, Munster will beat these guys, and then you know we'll get a home court, we'll get a home last sixteen, and all this sort of stuff." So, I just think I I think it's it's an easy or interesting comparison to make. Ulster have a massive chance to bounce back. They've they'll have a like they're playing to lose. They're playing to lose later, but they're they're playing well. They're playing at home, you know. They they have the opportunity. Whereas Munster have to go to Sandy Exeter, Park. yeah, Windy Park. That's true. Uh, and Exeter got a fucking very surprising win against Toulon. Toulon, obviously, not the Galactico team of your that place. I've been down to that stadium a couple of times. It's a really uh, that's an abrasive stadium to play in. Their fans are all their fans are hard work out of all the French fans I've ever met, like, I always am happy to see Toulon lose. All the time. Don't like their fans. Uh, Didn't like Toulon as a team. Really didn't like the Galactico team. I thought that sort of... I I thought that sort of Champions League, what had been a a great town competition, when they just went out and, like, Galactico, like, just bought in a load of... They completely knackered the salary cap and bought all the former World Player of the Years and put them in one team and go, oh, aren't we great? Like, it's like when UCD used to take all the best players from, like, all the schools and go, oh, we won the McCarry Cup. Yeah, no shit, like, <laughs> you know? Uh, so I, I, so I, was always, I was always, I was always, I'm really happy to see Toulon lose. And, like, Exeter, I think, are pretty most everyone's favourite English team since London Irish. Like, And they would be my favourite team, even including London Irish. You know, when you have to pick an English team, like Exeter had, like, really like Rob Baxter and uh, not keen on Tony Rowe, but like Baxter's extremely likable, really good coach. And I thought that the way that they recruited players is really clever and the way that he coached them, the way that they play to an extent and the way they get loads of value out of underrated players is really admirable. So to see them bouncing back after they've offloaded like all their superstars. And go and win down in Toulon, which is in the Felix Mayalis. Really hostile, really difficult place to win. And they're going to be tough to beat at home for Munster, who were disappointing. And I said, not like a, not a statement performance, because a draw isn't a statement. Weird, strange game. Uh, I was in, they don't have to, Brent Fanning wrote that article about, uh, like, one of the real losses of this fixture list is, like, not having, you don't have return fixtures against the team you play. Because I was thinking, oh, Munster will struggle in the, in the uh, Jean Dauger, but they won't because they won't play there. <laughs> but, um, but Bayon showed a load of heart in that game. And they, again, they were able to wheel out Junior Taggy, who's another 140 kilo monster, um, who scored a try for them. And she's an absolute round round mound of rebound <laughs> you know um like that was one thing which really struck me like the preponderance of these enormous tight heads with props in general from from the french sides 
And she's like, we've gone back after maybe a 10-year, 12-year gap from like O-line sized props right back there now. You know, it used to be James Johnson census because remember for a couple of seasons at Harlequins, like he was unplayable. So Annie Tongawea, like these huge guys. And then they changed the scrummaging laws and I was like, oh, you have to be able to play in scrummage. And now it's like, no, now you have to go be huge again, even with different scrummaging laws. So uh, Munster are going to bring in Oli Jaeger, who I presume is going to play in their next game and over in Exeter, um, who's a very big man. And it's going to be interesting to see. Like when I watched Jaeger for the Crusaders, and I, I by no means watched even, I wouldn't say I watched 20% of his games. He played He played like a number of seasons down there. Like, I don't know if what people, what impression people have of him as a player, because he's slow. He's like, he's a big, slow, strong tree, but he's like, he's more like, He's not a, like he's not a destructive scrummer. They don't scrum destructively in New Zealand. Like, the Crusaders had a decent scrum, but Michael Alato was a Crusaders tight head. He's not a destructive scrummer. And I don't know if Jaeger is like I don't think Jaeger. Jaeger well, I don't think he's not a destructive scrummer either. They don't scrum to win penalties, but he is a big unit, and that's going to be important because Munster without Klein. They don't often have Schneiman anyway. But so they're missing Klein and, and their scrum is like they played, they're missing a dog bow as well. They played with Witchley in the second round. Like they're going, oh. like Ty Byrne and, and Tom O'Hearn just carried that pack for them. They really did. Like Tom O'Hearn is the story of the South. Yeah, and I I guess it's pretty close to wrapping up. That we started off, or sorry, I started off talking about what a good job Leo Cullen had done. And I kind of think I'll finish there as well. That, like, when Munster won that semi final and then won the final against the Stormers, and you were saying, like, God, oh, the season only gets decided in, in March, and you sort of point to Leinster, and I think you were saying it, that, or sorry, point to Munster's win last year, and you go, well, yeah, like, it happened. And it's a great story. It arguably happened for the Stormers beforehand, but like, What's the, I think it's AJ Liebling's quote, it's like, you know, the victory, the fight isn't always to the strong, the race, nor the race to the swift, but that's sure the way to bet. Um, <laughs> that like, you want to you wanna win down in La Rochelle in December because it gives you a great chance of finishing first in your pool. If you finish first in your pool, you've got a great chance of finishing in the top four. And if you're in the top two, you're a home semi. You're home all the way to the semi in this tournament. So, it does, it does make a difference how you get on in the preamble. But sorry, what I was going on about Leo Cullen was that a lot of the work that what... Like Glenster were fighting on two fronts last year. And you look at it and you go, okay, it's brilliant that Munster won the league. It's brilliant for Prendergast, brilliant for Roundtree. Um, it's great for Irish rugby. Prendergast done a really good job. Roundtree's really likable. Um, but it's different when you're tr- trying to fight in two fronts. And here you're in a situation where like, Munster, and Munster have like a good number of players coming up, like their youth, like the youth coming up is good, but it it just kind of reinforces what a good job Leinster have done and Cullen has done with Leinster. And I know with different resources, but nonetheless, 
fighting on two fronts because like when you're missing players and you point towards oh we're missing this we're missing that scoreboard doesn't care you, like you don't you don't get points when you're missing players to sort of make up for them being absent it's just like if Johnny Sexton is gone for all your knockout matches at the end of last season that's it once he's gone he's gone so it's it I just like to focus on it because I don't think it gets any attention anywhere else I'm a Giuseppe, I got something special for you. Ready? Uno, due, tre, quattro. When I was a boy, just about the eighth grade, Mama used to say, don't stay out late with the bad boys. Always shoot the pool, Giuseppe, going to flunk a school. Boy, it make me sick, all the thing I gotta do. I can't get no kicks, I always got to follow rules. Making me sick just to make the lousy bucks. Got to feel like a fool. And the mama used to say all the time, What's the matter, you? Hey, got no respect. What do you think you do? Why you look so sad? It's a not so bad. It's a nicer place. I shut up your face. That's my mama, can I remember? Big accordion solo. Star. Then they make a TV shows and the movies Get myself a new car But still I be myself I don't want it to change a thing Still a dance and a sing I think about the mama She used to say What's the matter you? Hey, God, no respect What do you think you do? Why you look so sad? It's a not so bad It's a nicer place I shut up your face Mama, she said it all of the time What's the matter you?